All right, welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Adapia Derico. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Uh, and uh, Adapia is a passionate about empowerment. She's an international author, powerful keynote speaker, and a sought-after voice in entrepreneurship, capital raising, and enlightened leadership. She's co-founded many businesses, launched brands, defined industries, as well as reinventing herself many times during her 20-year career. And Adapia currently is a principal at Alpha Investing, a boutique real estate a private equity firm, a partner at Cloudfire Capital, and digital asset manager, and a venture investor and advisor. So I'm, I'm surprised you have enough time to speak with me today. Hi, Adapia. How are you doing? Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about, so yeah, obviously you have a very uh, colorful and uh, interesting life, all kinds of changes happen with you and you're very active in all kinds of uh, different uh, endeavors so tell tell me a little bit about kind of how you got to where you are today yeah um it, it's a zigzag path i always find it remarkable even when i think about how it all started and and also it's zigzag or spiral or circular because i got back around to where i wanted to start so basically I started working in a bank when I was 18. So I remember in high school, my computer teacher talking about mutual funds. So this was the late nineties. And this was this new, this newer thing. Of course, I was in high school. I wasn't thinking about investing, but it really sparked my interest. There was something about that moment where he was talking about it for, I don't even know what reason. And I got really interested in it. And so I decided to pursue a career, um, in banking and financial services. Like, I really can't tell you logically what it was about that that was interesting to me because I didn't even do well in math. So it was like the last thing I ever thought that I would go to school for, um, but I excelled and I really loved it. And, and, and I really started my career there. Um, and I moved to Europe. So I was in Canada. I was born in Canada. I was going there. Um, I moved to Europe to do an international degree. I ended up living there for 11 years. I was in insurance companies. I was in hedge funds. Um, and I ended up back in America, actually. And I, I actually helped to launch um, real estate crowdfunding as an industry. Uh, so I joined one of the very, very early firms uh, in early 2014. And that, that was the beginning of my career in real estate, in fintech, and um, you know, now I'm in on the equity side um, of the of the capital stack in in real estate, and it's just been such a wild ride for me because I started there, but I've I've done a lot of other things in between. But in a way, I I came back around with the crowdfunding into the finance and the real estate. Um, which was new to me. And honestly, I love the real estate, as do you. I mean, it's like when you learn about real estate, especially coming from a background that's more traditional, it's, it's skeptical at first. It's like, wait a second, this can't be right. I've never been taught this. I've never known about this. How could I not know about this? And yet it's really, it's such a foundational piece of anyone's portfolio. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more. Obviously, yeah. I mean, I've, I've invested a lot in uh, I've invested a lot in, st in the stock market. I, I used to do a lot of options, mm -hmm. and uh, and you know, I lost a lot of money. Dot com crash. I don't know if you remember that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I lost I lost a lot. 
that. Mm -hmm. And uh, but we're not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then really, what uh, what got me back on my feet is uh, is real estate. And uh, people often forget uh, they think that. And I was like that too. Like I thought, well, real estate is kind of like done. And uh, and then now I want to be in the stock up stock market. I want to be options, more liquid, and all of that kind of stuff. Right. And uh, now a lot of people are talking about crypto and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And uh, which is another beast on, on its own, but it, um, it is, yeah. it's like a new financial system. Well, but you know, I actually lost part of how I got into real estate. I think to begin with, honestly, is I lost everything um, in, in a really poorly thought out <laughs> strategy. Let's put it that way. Um, I was defrauded. Um, oh. I was defrauded in a private transaction, not real estate. Um, and I, oh God, I learned so much. This was me coming out of Europe, um, you know, th thinking that I knew a lot more than I did because I had been working more in the hedge fund side and investor relations. And I was too trusting. Um, but my intuition told me that this was like a bad, 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 bad. But my mind, I did not want to believe it because I wanted this thing to be real. I wanted this to be something really successful for me because I'd really gotten very interested in startup and venture. And I really liked the idea of investing in founders and helping them create their visions, especially if they were social or impact or something that really improved the world. And so um, it was a, it was a bad decision. It ended up being fraud. I lost everything. It was everything, all the money that I had. And wow. so, in, you know, in a way, instead of thinking that I was going to receive all this money so that I could be a venture capital investor, um, I ended up going into the startup because I needed to work because mm. I lost everything. Um, yeah. And that's how I got and And so, and then I learned all about real estate. And now that I know the underwriting side of real estate and I do the capital raise, I know how to talk to investors. One of the most important things I've really learned is picking your partners and trusting your gut, like trusting your intuition if something feels off and using that not to totally write something off, but to dig a little deeper. Mm. Um, because it's really like your partners are so important in real estate, especially too, because if, unless you're the direct operator, um, you're really relying on somebody else to be executing the business plan or, you know, getting you your returns, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I, I actually came into real estate out of, out of necessity and everything always works out for the best because I can't imagine, um, my life and my career having gone any other way. Um, so that, that's, yeah, I lost everything too. And this, this is very interesting because I think when we are, when we're doing something new and all of that, and we want to invest, if you're new to real estate or you're new to the stock market and all that, you, you have to learn to push your boundaries, you know, so it, it is not comfortable. And then, but you have to be able to kind of balance it out and say, okay, well, this is not comfortable because of what, because of uh, it's, it's unusual because it's a lot of money because there's more risk than usual, or is there another reason why, it is, um, you know, it, it is, I feel, I feel this way. Right. So I think this is uh, something that's very important. And how do you, how do you make the differentiation here between, between these two, I guess, feelings? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so I've really come to understand that there's a difference between, let's say, pure intuition, like a knowing, like when you really just know something, um, which is a little more, you could consider it spiritual, but I don't really think it's spiritual. I think you just, you just know something and you have zero doubts about it. Like there, there's a yes or there's a no. And then there's another form of, of sort of body intuition or experiential, maybe intuition that says, I don't know about that like something feels a little bit off. And so that is more like, Hey, you need to do more research. Like, am I uncomfortable with this trade for what reason? Like you said, is it because I haven't done my research and my due diligence? Is it because I have FOMO, right? Because the, you know, like, let's say it's crypto and it's like up 150% this week. Cause that's what cryptocurrencies do. Um, am I, am I feeling something because I want to jump in and you know, or is it really, um, is it really like a signal that says you should not touch that stay away completely. You don't know. So I've just really learned in general to try to understand my own, my, my set of expertise as well as my comfort level and my risk tolerance. So if I want to, you know, if I want to, let's say play with a little bit of money that I can afford to lose, then I know the risk reward scenario there. I would never put important money into a trade where the risk was really high or where I felt uncomfortable. For me, to some degree, there's always some level of discomfort a little bit because you you honestly, you still never know. I mean, look at the market today. I mean, how how much higher can prices go? And the reality is nobody knows. Like mm-hmm. we, we don't know. So we take calculated risks. So I've just come to un- try to understand myself. I know, for example, I'm a long-term investor. I'm not a trader. I'm not a day trader. I, that is just not, I'm not good at it because emotionally I'm not disciplined enough because I know myself. So that's fine. So I have, my portfolio is in real estate. I um, have managed cryptocurrency by professionals that that's, that is what they do um, so that I don't have to worry about it. And I still get to, um, I still get to have the wealth that builds. So it's really knowing myself at the end of the day, uh, knowing where I start, knowing where I stop um, and, and where I'm most comfortable. But most of the time, if something feels off, I really have to explore that and say, like, why is that happening? Like, why am I feeling this? Like, is it rational or is it irrational? Um, and usually if I'm feeling very emotional about something like that, then I just need to stop and give it some time because there will always be another trade. There will always be another deal. There will always be another day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of people think, oh, this is, this is it. This is the last, uh, this is my last chance. So this is a chance of doing it. (laughs) I felt like that when I was on the stock market and just before the dot-com crash, I I went to my uh, financial advisor. I said, you met, you've made it. He says, this is it. You can quit everything. You can, you can be, uh, and then a few months later, that mark, so I'm back at work. (laughs) Um, So um, the, uh, the other thing too, that uh, is important is the risk, right? So that, so to me, it's also kind of like, I try to kind of like look at all the risks and then make sure that I have a mitigation plan and say, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? And uh, yeah, we hear a lot of, especially crypto nowadays. I mean, we hear a lot about, you know, Elon Musk put like a hundred million dollars in crypto and stuff like that. But 
it is less than 1% of his wealth. So yeah, so he ma he's managing risk. Yes, it's a big number that he's putting in there, but he's still managing his risk. He's not putting 50% of his money in there. He's, he's putting 1% or less than 1% in there. And that's what most people are, are doing. So uh, any, any, any thoughts on that one? Oh man, I mean, so many. And, and I was thinking it's important not to look at the dollar amount, but the ratio, like you said, exactly. like you actually have to break it down because there's a news cycle that is pushing certain agendas, let's say. Um, and that's just how it is. That's what the media does. And um, there's a lot like, look, there was the, um, there were fake press releases. There was one around Walmart and then there was another one was it maybe like a car company, some, some kind of a fake press release that they were going to take a certain cryptocurrency. And then that cryptocurrency popped up. And then oh, of yeah. course it ended up being fake and then it completely crashed. And yeah. so, and, and so, yeah, there, there, you have to be careful because you know, you even hear like Mark Cuban lost a couple million dollars in a rug pull, um, which is, you know, it was like a fake project and, yeah. but a couple million dollars to Mark Cuban is like my hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, so you got to be really careful with that and not be too, it's really easy to get, I think, caught up in the story, right? Like, oh, I put $500 in this coin and it turned into $40,000 in a week. Like, you know, I can take it back to real estate. Like um, we, we just returned uh, a 100% IRR over 12 months to our investors. Solid project. Nobody should ever expect that. We didn't expect that. Clearly, it far exceeded underwriting. And we don't, you know, and it skewed our average IRR for our portfolio. And so we have to, we actually have to downplay that because it's so easy for somebody to latch on to that and say, oh, now I want to invest all my money with you on the basis of this one project. Now, like the sponsor is great. They're returning fabulous IRRs, but that is not to be expected. So sometimes like your best successes can also in some way, um, unless you exploit them, they can also be a little bit tricky to, to, to work with because um, there are no guarantees, even with the best underwriting, like in, in a market that is really, um, I mean, who knows really where it's going to go long-term. So exactly. yeah, it's, it's really hard. Like we got to be really, um, as logical and rational as possible when we think about this and also managing the emotional expectations that we have mm -hmm. when we're investing in any asset. Yeah. Yeah. So Adapia, let's talk about kind of like women in investing. So mm -hmm. kind of like what, so you, I just, you were in the industry that's probably the most like uh, boys club that you can ever have financing, banking, and all yeah. of that. And then real estate, another boys club. Yeah. And then, um, so how did you, how did you navigate through this environment? How did you, and you obviously you did very well and you are doing very well. So how did you navigate and how can other women do the same? Yeah, um, I really like this question because, you know, we were talking before we started recording, like, I don't believe that we should vilify men. I mean, there's plenty of bad men. There's plenty of bad women out there, too. I'm not a fan of some of them. And 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 so um, I think for me, one thing um, and this I really can thank my parents for, especially my dad, is that I never showed up in the world thinking that I was a girl or a woman. Um, 
I just showed up as me. Like it didn't even occur to me that I would be treated differently. I mean, of course, like, you know, of course I've, I've had my, my share of, of like inappropriate remarks and, and things like that. I just never really paid attention. Um, but I also always showed up professionally. I always showed up with an expectation that I would be treated well and fairly and equally. And that, and that it just never occurred to me that, that, that anything that anybody would try anything inappropriate. So I probably never put that energy out either, but it just, until the movement really blew up, I wasn't aware of how big of an issue it, it was because I've always been head down just trying to get to where I wanted to get to for my own sense of accomplishment and success and, and satisfaction. So I think I navigated it in a naive way in a sense. Um, but also without, without expecting that I would be treated differently. So even, even if, and when I was, it just never occurred to me that that was happening. I kind of just thought, well, I'll just have to work harder. You know, if I wasn't getting paid as I, it never was like, oh, I'm a girl. They're not paying me as much as the man. It, it was just, you know, I would just take that. I would just internalize that and use that as fuel to get to where I wanted to go. Yeah. I mean, I think there are different clubs as well in there too. Like, oh, you didn't go to Harvard or you didn't yeah. go to, you just yeah. went to another school. So it didn't matter. <laughs> so you, you know, there are different uh, layers of that as yeah. well. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so that's, so that's good. You kind of like didn't let that influence you or influence your behavior. You stayed yeah. uh, business. Uh, any advice out there for men who uh, feel the same about you? You feel like, you know, this is an even playing field and, uh, you know, that, yeah, how, how do we, how do you help men, women actually be yeah. more successful? And, and I know that men try to help a certain way <laughs> and <laughs> that, that way is not necessarily helpful. So, right. Right. Yeah. It's a really important question. I, I think, you know, I run into this with my husband a lot. Um, sometimes he doesn't realize the, the position he's, he's taken. And like, I can see that it's, it doesn't really sit well with me, but it doesn't come from a, he doesn't do it on purpose is I guess what I'm trying to say. And so what it often comes down to, and I use him as an example, because there's often times where I think if you, that that's, that's actually politically incorrect, or like, that's actually kind of inappropriate to, to say, but it doesn't come from that place in him. He also doesn't know better. And so what I would say to men, and this is just, this is how I live my life as well, because I have just as many biases as anyone, because we all do. I have, mm -hmm. I have ingrained behaviors and beliefs that I'm constantly unraveling within myself really just to understand. And so I think it comes down to a level of, of self-awareness of if somebody says to you that was inappropriate, um, or I didn't appreciate that, then I would say open listening, like, well, you know, can you tell me why or how that impacted you so that you're receiving the input and you can think about how that could be true? Because we can't put ourselves in other people's shoes, not fully. And so it's hard to understand. And so that would be my best advice is, is it really comes down to like active listening and self-reflection and seeing if, you know, within a behavior, um, also acknowledging or admitting like, oh yeah, that. I could see how that was hurtful or if it did hurt somebody just, you know, that, that was hurtful. Um, we all do it. And, and so I think it's just, to me, it's always about 
self-reflection and, and just like self adjusting in without losing who you are, but just understanding somebody else's position and not getting defensive, which is what we mostly do is we get defensive and we want to be right. But nowadays, I think one of the most um, like wonderfully authentic things that anyone can do, especially as a leader is to just listen and say, you know, take responsibility um, and, and give that person the space that, that they need, but not, not, don't stop being yourself either. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I'm not, maybe I'm paraphrasing as well, because I think you wrote about this, about authority and, uh, and through authenticity. And I think yeah. from what I understand, like, you know, when you navigate this financial world or real estate world and all of that, I mean, you just, you just, you seem very focused on what the objective is, yeah. what you're trying to accomplish. And then, so, so that automatically kind of gives you a sense of, you know, this is like, you're, you're driven, you have, uh, you're, you're authentic and stuff like that. But I'll, I'll let you guys, because I, you wrote about this, right? Yeah. Authority through authenticity. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So what, what it means is, um, you know, we have this idea of leadership and we have this idea of authority and like who's in charge. And, um, I think that paradigm is, is really breaking down. It's not about external authority. I mean, there are technical external authorities, but we make a choice every day to give that external authority power or not. And where, where I've landed is that um, true authority comes from your ability to relate to other people, which comes from your ability to relate to yourself and know yourself. So when I know myself and when I honor myself, like everything about who I am, then I'm not afraid to show up as who I am. I'm not afraid to say I lost everything mm -hmm. to fraud. And, and I used to, I used to think, God, I can't say that. I wouldn't say, I, I sat in shame for years because I thought, what would people think? How would that make me look like? Um, and instead when I, I really worked through what that was and it, and, and I had to forgive myself and I had to let go of whatever judgment I was holding against myself, then I can just be more of myself. I spend less time and energy trying to manage my external how I look and how I sound and who somebody might think I am. Cause they're still going to have an opinion whether or not I've successfully like put that face on, you know, it doesn't matter. So yeah. the, the only thing that matters is really being authentic in who I am. And then, and then it's, it was almost like, it's not magic, but it was really remarkable when I just stopped trying so hard to be what I thought other people wanted me to be and just be myself. Then people gravitated to me a lot more and they looked up to me a lot more. And then all of a sudden there's that authority, the leadership, and it comes from being authentic to who you are. And that's what I mean by that. And so, um, you know, whether that's that you're naive or you're very driven or you're a mix of the two things, or it's just not being afraid to be who you are. And we all crave true connection. Like we want to relate and, and, and have relationships with a real person, not the person's, you know, fake face, mm -hmm. if you will. 
Yeah. So it, it, I guess it's kind of it also kind of related to like trust, right? So if you know that somebody is is authentic, they're showing who they truly are and all of that. And then when they speak, then you say, well, there's no hidden agenda here. There's no, you know, I trust what they're saying. And yeah. automatically, then if that person say, oh, I think we should be doing this, then you kind of look, you listen to it a little bit differently because you yeah. say there's no hidden agenda. There's nothing. They're not trying to stab me in the back. It's not a trick or a trap. And yeah. then so if I agree with the direction that where this person wants to take us, then I'll, I'll support that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're more likely to, let's say, listen in terms of even be open to hearing what somebody has to say that's an authoritative figure if you trust them and that trust comes from a level of intuition that you feel about them, because we can all tell if somebody's fake or not. I mean, whether we're aware of the fact that we can do this is another thing, but you're more likely to want to um, listen or, or take advice or, or like buy from somebody too. I mean, or invest with somebody if you, if you think you can trust them. And the only way we get to trust is, um, is, is really through that authentic relating and then through our track record and showing up and doing the right thing. But it all starts with, you know, is this somebody that I want to spend time with? Is this somebody that I want to give my money to? Is this somebody that, you know, especially when we're making investments, you know, some, some of these things are like five, 10 years long. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long time to yeah. have someone in your life. So you, you, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't think about it that way because maybe it's yeah. like, oh, it's my investment and it's my money. Well, it comes with people. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think in terms of authenticity? I want to kind of uh, uh, spend a little bit of time on that because mm -hmm. there's so many on YouTube and you know Instagram and all of that. There's so many gurus out there, real estate gurus, mm -hmm. financial gurus, and mm -hmm. oh, you should invest in in this and that and the other thing and buy my book and all that. Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts about that? Some of these these influencers and uh, their level of authenticity. Do you think there's a lot of authenticity out there? Do you think that there's uh, how do you determine that somebody is more authentic than another? I think it's really hard to do on social media because social media is a marketing tool. So I, I think it's really challenging to, to, I think it's important to understand that they're marketing mm -hmm. and it's a marketing campaign, no matter what, um, you know, and, and so it's not necessarily that they're inauthentic, but the only way to really know is to actually meet them and have an interaction with them. And and not to be disillusioned or, um, yeah, it, 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 look, it's like, especially if somebody's selling something, then you know, they they have something to sell. Um, they, I mean, should want to build trust. That's what, that's what I think. I think you should build trust with, with people. And so they do that with content. Um, and you can tell sometimes if it's like over the top, but maybe that's that person's brand. And so you just, I think until you really get to know somebody, you, you don't really know if they're authentic. I think the important thing there is to know, does that resonate with me? Is what they're saying, does it align to something that, that I'm feeling, that I'm experiencing, that I'm wanting? Always, always understanding that it's marketing. And so it's meant to elicit a response in you so that you don't feel like, oh, I got duped because you didn't. They're selling you something. That's the whole point. 
right? Like they, a lot of times certain people have to put on a persona. It's like an actor. An actor is not necessarily inauthentic. An actor is an actor. So they're playing a role. And, and I think that's where a lot of influencers have gone, especially the ones that make a living being an influencer is they've created a persona. They've created their own brand. So I don't know what they, what they are like, in, you know, in real life. Um, I know for me, I've just, I've really taken an approach of, you know, like I'm, I, sh I show up as, as who I am. Um, and I'm not trying to build a persona, which is very antithetical to marketing, especially today. Um, I don't use filters on my style. Like I, I, it's like, I just, to me for what I do, it's more important for me to be real, to let somebody know who I am because I'm dealing with multi-million dollar investments. And so I don't, it doesn't make sense for me to try to be something that I'm not because I'm on the phone with my investors all the time. People know who I am. They need to know who I am. And so I need to represent myself as myself because that is my brand in my way. Um, so it's a different, it's a different approach. I think the authenticity, um, I almost think you can't apply it to marketing actually. Yeah. A, a lot of it, a lot of the, obviously this podcast, obviously I'm interviewing uh, different people, but I also have other contents that I put, put up in Instagram, even TikTok nowadays, mm -hmm. and then YouTube, I have another channel on YouTube. And uh, my goal is always to kind of educate and mm -hmm. uh, make people aware of what's going on, especially when I'm seeing like a crisis in terms of retirement that's coming up. And yeah. make sure that people realize that and they, they start to prepare themselves for uh, to be financially free and yeah. some start generating some passive income. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a hard, it's hard to kind of like get that message out out there when there's so much, um, so much of that other fluff, you know, I don't, I don't show a Ferrari uh, on right. my, uh, right. Lamborghini or my Rolls Royce, because I think it's silly to have those things, but, <laughs> but well, uh, and, and people doesn't who agree with well. you, right? Like people <laughs> who agree with you, who feel like you do, they will be, that resonates with them. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, I appreciate, I appreciate this. Um, appreciate what he's saying. This makes sense to me. Um, we have an alignment. So I want to learn more from him and I want to understand more and I'm trusting him more. Um, because it, but the thing is like, let's say you did love the fancy cars. It would be authentic for you to share, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. that's, you love those. And so it would make sense for you. And then yeah. you have that audience, like, so it's, it's, I've struggled a lot with the marketing piece with the back and forth about, um, what's the best way to do it and what do I want to show? And, um, you know, and, and for me, where I landed for, for myself is that I wasn't comfortable trying to create this persona or trying to be somebody that I wasn't. Cause initially that's what I thought it was supposed to be. And then I really landed like where, where you are is educating. And for me also sharing my stories, I've been through a lot. Um, I can articulate a lot of my journey and I know that a lot of people resonate with my journey, especially women, especially women who might look at me and say, oh, she's a woman who invests. That's not, I don't know very many of those. And that's what really made me realize, like, I actually need to speak about that a lot more and stop hiding because I was hiding. 
I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to talk about none of my friends knew what I did for a living. I didn't want to talk about the fact that I made money um, for a living. Um, and I had to go undo a lot of negative narratives and false beliefs about money, about it. Like it's impolite to talk about money, like money equals greed, like all kinds of weird things in my head. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and then I started to be able to have conversations with my friends about it and they really leaned in. And that's when I realized I need to be talking about this more for other women too, who don't yeah. know anyone that could give them some, some, ad, I can't give advice. That's not the right word, but like that could explain a little bit about this and help them to, to get to a place where, you know, like you were talking about the retirement crisis, women are going to outlive men. They yeah. already do. They're by a long shot. I mean, so mm-hmm. much of the new research that's coming out, it's, it's like 20, 30 years. We're going to be yeah. living way longer, all of us, but, but yeah. again, women outlive men. Yeah. Um, there's a pay gap. There's women don't invest as much as men. So the retirement crisis for women is going to be even more acute. Wow. I didn't even think about that, but that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was not, I was not even thinking about any kind of gender gap in here, sure. but uh, wow, this, that's is absolutely true. And, and a lot of women, I think, I don't have a statistics on that, but I think uh, some, uh, some women are more dependent on, they may have a pay gap difference or they are they're they're depending on their husband for for some some of the finance and stuff like that so yeah if they don't invest yeah that's going to be a major crisis even worse than i imagine oh great (laughs) (laughs) well but there's a really big opportunity right now Mm -hmm. to to speak to them because that women are expected to basically inherit the lion's share of like 30 trillion dollars by 2030 there's a there's Mm -hmm. you know there's a big um generational um the word is escaping me but but there's this transfer of wealth that's happening and women stand to inherit a lot of it and they also end up inheriting their financial their parents or their dad's financial advisor is what i know women like that too they're like oh my you know that that's their financial advisor or their like husbands like some older ladies and um so there's like a big crisis going on in the financial like advising industry because there's all these women that are that are um getting all this money and they've never been the ones to manage it and they certainly don't know about real estate when i talk to them and so so much education there um even if they just put like a small percent if they allocated that to private real estate um it'll make a huge difference to their cash flow um to their overall roi as you know so well and um and and so so there there's a lot of work to be done there's a lot of work to be done there and in a way like i'm I'm glad that you know the universe finally hit me in the head with it a couple years ago (laughs) because that's not what i was that's not where i was going it's not what i was thinking at all yeah, and that kind of brings me to my uh, mother-in-law, and I'm gonna try to say this without getting too upset. But uh, she, they, again, my uh, father-in-law passed away a couple of years ago, and then, like you said, like she inherited basically the finances and everything, and um, and including the financial advisor uh, that had been advising them for thirty years, and that guy was just took advantage of them for 30 years and he was supposed to be a friend and uh, now she feels kind of emotionally attached 
to this yeah. financial advisor gets yeah. as a friend and uh, ex friend and it's just like this guy screwed you for 30 years and then you call that person a friend it's just unbelievable to me yeah. but um yeah so yeah you inherit a lot of that and it takes a lot uh, if you ha haven't had the education at that point or the the fortitude and the, and the uh, the authority you've developed the inner authority to take action and say no this is this is wrong and yeah. I, I have no problem changing financial advisor at this point right. and um but yeah this is yeah. Uh, very interesting yeah i, I think, think I'm, yeah go ahead no, no, I was going to say just that, that that comes from a willingness. I think the hardest part is the inertia of I have to learn something new mm -hmm. that I think I'm bad at because, yeah. you know, the most basic version is I'm not good at math or I've never done my taxes or I don't know how it works. And the reality is that like anything, you can start with the basics and it's and it's very simple in the basic form. It can get complex, just like anything, but like, I know how to put on a bandaid when I'm cut. I don't know how to perform surgery. I don't need to, but I know how to, I know how to take care of myself to that point. And I think yeah. it's the same with finances, like know enough to not just put on a bandaid, but to take care of yourself. And then there comes a time when you need the professional or the specialist. Mm -hmm. And if that, if you're so inclined to go there, that's why, that's why professionals exist that do other things. And with financial advisors, um, it's knowing the right questions to ask them so that you're making sure that they're doing a good job for you. Um, mm -hmm. because otherwise how would you, you know, you need to be yeah. able to stand up for yourself and, and most people don't want to, it's really, it's really like, Oh, I don't want to rock the boat. And no, you have yeah. to, because that's your livelihood. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, so I, Luckily, I mean, she, uh, my mother decided to kind of like have like a family council basically mm -hmm. with uh, the family member and she included me as part of that. So Good. I'm helping out and that's how I became aware of what was going on. And uh so I think it's a good time to kind of segue into uh, kind of like wealth. What's your idea mm -hmm. on wealth? What does it mean to you? And what should people be uh, focusing on? Especially when we're talking about, again, we talked about the uh, these influencers and all of that and showing their Ferrari. Is that wealth? And then what yeah. is wealth to you? And uh, what, what should our listeners focus on? Um, wealth to me is it's very aligned to abundance and to a feeling of being abundant, not just money, money to there's financial wealth, um, which is the ability to live in the way that I want to live. Uh, and for me specifically, because I've overcome a real scarcity and poverty mindset and fear is to me, that wealth is that I'm not ever going to be afraid that I'm not going to be able to provide. Um, so that for me is financial wealth. Overall, wealth is a sense of abundance and empowerment to go through this world and make an impact um, on other people. Because when I'm feeling wealthy and abundant and prosperous, my natural inclination is to want to help other people 
feel the same way, or this is why I love investing in venture. Um, cause now I can do this because I, you know, I got my act together and I picked myself up from, you know, and, and, and now I'm doing this and there's, to me, there's almost nothing that feels better than giving an entrepreneur the ability to execute on maybe like a, a like a life-changing, um, business to be a business partner of sorts. So to me, wealth is a form of like filling the well and filling other people's well. And, and it's just constantly like growing and it's energetic. Yeah. I find, I find it interesting too, like the, uh, you mentioned uh, kind of like, um, yeah, sense of abundance and all of that. And I think I feel that a lot on the, uh, on the investment, on the investment side, mm -hmm. not so much when you're talking about when you have a business, like I used to have a gourmet sauce company and you were competing with other right. And it was about, you know, shelf space and it was about price and, you know, every penny counts and, you know, talking to the retailer and then your numbers are not good enough and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to cut you, cut this line out and blah, blah, blah. So very cutthroat, very, not just, I didn't get a sense of abundance <laughs> when yeah. I had the Cormesos company. Yeah. Uh, but with, when we talk about investing, it's it's a lot more collaborative it's a lot more uh hey let's so this is exciting let's do something together let's invest in this and yeah. and really a sense of collaboration because you know now right now you're working on this project and maybe you didn't get in on this project but then you find yourself in another project with that person that was uh, not rejected but not accepted or whatever and then now you're working with them and then say okay well this this works out yeah and uh, so that's that's very that's very interesting and that's uh, that's there's more information there's more collaboration there's much more a sense of a, it's easier to have a sense of abundance when you're when you're an investor i think than yeah. uh, when you are some kind of co more commerce kind of driven kind of uh, person mm, yeah i can see that yeah i've never thought of it that way but yeah i i really like being an investor i like investing i and i especially like the way that i feel solid i just feel solid when when you, you know even if i wasn't a, like a full-time professional investor but having that solid financial foundation allows me to go out in the world and 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 execute on whatever my mission or my purpose is from a place of not fear from a place mm -hmm. of confidence because yeah the world we live in operates in this way and we're not going to get away from money and we're not, we're like, it, it's like an acceptance of what is. And instead of being resentful about it, change it from the inside too. Mm -hmm. So if I don't like the way that, you know, it, it's like, how do I say this? Um, I operate in this world. I operate with a certain energy, with a certain sense of being it's like, it, it, it's like, I'm not cutthroat because there's a lot of cutthroat people in investing as well. Like yeah. I operate in my way and I have an impact on people and they might say, oh, I, maybe not all investment people are what I thought they were, you know? And I'm like, great, because we're not. I have met so many incredible people, especially in the real estate industry, like outstanding people that, um, that we might not, you know, if we have opinions about what people are in certain industries, you might not ever give them like a second chance. And then they're, they're just real people and they're like amazing people. So I think it comes down to, again, that authenticity of like being myself and who says that I can't be spiritual and be in finance. Cause I am, 
Um, who says that I can't, you know, I like who says that I can't be everything that I am in any given moment in time. And, and I think the pandemic really, especially last year, it really showed us that we're all human and we need to have compassion for each other as humans, because, you know, when we were in our zoom pajamas and like kids and dogs flying around and, and it's like, oh, I didn't realize you were a real person. And I know it seems yeah. naive. But that's actually what it was, was like, man, I, like, I prefer that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do a call center, you call a support person, a call uh, support agent, and then just like you hear the dog or the, yeah. the baby crying and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, don't be sorry. I'll I'm be sorry. sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you're able to work and help me out. So mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. very good. So let's talk about something. Uh, so kind of from from wealth, and then now I'm a, a lot of our listeners. They kind of uh, they they want to invest in real estate, but yeah, whenever we want to invest in real estate or some anything else, we want we need to raise capital. There's mm -hmm. always a form of raising capital, and uh, you have a lot of uh, experience doing that. And I was wondering if you could share some some tips, some ways for somebody that's getting started in the real estate investing world. On how to raise capital. Mm. Um, I always recommend the authenticity piece, like really, like I do. To me, I'm successful. We talked about that already. Yeah, yeah I, I know. Yeah. So I guess I, I, I know. I mean, it's really just like um, be honest. Um, I think like, especially if you're starting out, like if you're your own sponsor, like you're the GP and you're starting out and you're raising capital, you're going to raise from friends and family to begin with, like you just are. Um, and as you do this, as, as you build your track record, my best recommendation is always do right by your investors. So you, you yourself might have to pass your GP down to make your investors whole. And you need to do that if that's the case, because that is how you build, um, you build real trust with people. You have to have the heart to do the right thing even when the contract structure might say, well, I get my fees over here. And like, let's say you come out on top and your investors for whatever reason don't, that's not okay. You will not succeed long-term. So it's always doing the right thing. Always. Like even when you're a big investor, you always do the right thing. Um, and, and like the, you have to earn people's trust and you, you don't earn people's trust by giving the best sales pitch. You, you earn people's trust by like understanding their needs. Um, and if they are not comfortable, then um, you either can help them get comfortable with something or you let it go. Like the pushiness is like, so last century in my mind with, with sales, like you just can't do that. Like good capital raisers don't need to push they know when to pull away. They know when it's not the right time. And, and they just trust that like, this might not be the right time for this investor. It might not ever be the right time, but you've done the right thing. The worst thing that I think could ever happen. And I could never do this is basically defraud someone. I just, I just couldn't live with myself in it. And it happened to me. I don't know how people live with themselves. Um, I, know, and so, I don't understand that either. How do you, <laughs> I don't, I, I it's like, why would you hurt someone to be greedy? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so in, to me, like in, on the capital raise side, especially real estate can be complex for people to understand as well. So having a lot of patience. So when you talked about like 
being education forward, super, very, very, very important. Like I often still to this day, forget how much I know. And I might start up here and they're not following because they, they need the very, very, very basic. And so, you know, it's like dialing it back, meeting people where they're at, um, and, and having a trust and a patience and, and kind of a faith that whoever you speak to, whether they invest or not is going to be part of your path to success. And you just, you have to believe in yourself and you have to be persistent, um, leading with education, leading authentically, admitting when you don't know something, uh, saying, I will find out. I don't know. I will find out. I will get back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody knows it all. And also not over promising. Uh, I would rather under promise and over deliver, especially in this market, um, than then say, oh yeah, uh, we just hit, you know, hundred IRR. The next one's going to be 120. Uh, never will I yeah. say that never would we you just, so if anybody hears somebody say something like that, like run the other way. Um, and I think the last thing I would say related to this market is that, you can't, and this is maybe more of an underwriting thing, but you can't um, presume or expect the market to carry um, the cap rate to carry the, the, it has to be value driven as a GP. Like, what are you doing? Because if you're banking on it being the market and on cap rates compressing and, and like, maybe you'll get lucky. It's a gamble, right? It's yeah. a gamble. We have no idea how what's going to happen. So don't don't expect the market to do your work for you. And it'll make your capital raise a lot easier in the mm-hmm. future too. Yeah. So sounds like first start small, friends and family. If you're if you're new to capital yeah. raising and work with, with them first, build your track record, obviously. And then that's going to give some confidence to other for other investors to uh, to come in. Uh, I also encourage a lot of the my friends and family to say, hey, if you know anybody else to yep. uh, you know that want to invest with us, then you have these people that are speaking on your behalf, and that really that really helps uh, significantly. And then you build your your track record. And people are always afraid about speed; they always want to go fast. And trust me, when you get going, it's going to be fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be fast enough and always do right by your investors. Um, I I think that's like, that's how we've been able to be so successful um, is always doing right by our investors. And, and just, it seems really basic, but it's like, do the right thing, be a good person, do the right thing. And people will gladly refer we don't even need to ask at us. Like they'll gladly refer because you've done the right thing. Um, and you can't replace that. Yeah. And um, yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of our investors, I mean, we have different investors. We have the investors that are buying our single family rentals. So we do the turnkey business. So we're doing right by them because if, you know, if we sell something to them and then all of a sudden something breaks down, then you know we can help them out or the yeah. or the tenant left earlier than expected or something like that right uh, so we always try to do them right because they for that reason because they trust us that hey, things are going to go they don't expect it to go 100 percent smooth but they expect some level of smoothness uh in in that respect and then we have all the other investors joint venture partners and pml and all that and um 
the people that we're dealing with, they don't have, we have a few investors that are like high net worth individual, but most of them are just regular people that are working and uh, they're lending us money. So our, even when we do kind of like a syndication or joint venture or an apartment building, I mean, we keep it super simple for them and say, yeah, this is what we expect to get. This is, uh, you can see the accounting. We answer questions about the, the books and kind of how we, uh, when we distribute the funds and all that kind of stuff. But keeping it simple, there's no reason to do a preferred and a ladder and then all the fees and all that kind of stuff it just gets too confusing we don't even take fees we just take a, a straight profit membership as a as a member of that uh of that wow. jv of that syndication and then that's otherwise yeah. it would say well you get your fee and then we we get what's left yeah yeah i like so, that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so it feels like we're more we're more in it together and to be successful and all of that so yeah 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 well also the turnkey single family rental such a great asset class to be mm-hmm. in um yeah. we're doing that in, in a port at a portfolio on a portfolio level um we've historically and we still do multifamily and senior housing um syndication and we recently we started looking into it in 2020 and then um pulled the trigger on some markets in 2021 and um the single family rental space i mean you you know the like the statistics and, and the amount of capital and and just like the economics like what's going on in the market such a great asset class that so is, yeah. um so it's great that you're giving people the opportunity to own their own mm-hmm. because it's so much work to go find it yourself <laughs> We have a very unique niche because, yeah, it's uh, it's very hard to find, uh, and then then executing at that level. I mean, we do 120 properties. I mean, it's not it's not huge, but we do 120 properties a year, and then. Um, but you know, it takes a lot of organization, lots of construction crews, lots of property management stuff going on, lots of uh, lots of everything, <laughs> and then. Uh, and really at the end, I mean, yeah, we make a little bit of money on the, uh, when we resell the property in terms of gains, but, and then people look at that and they say, oh, you know, this is it, this, you're, not, you're not making enough, you, you know, this is not worth it, you should be, but in the end, I mean, I'm looking at the, the relative returns and it's, it's very good, it's excellent, I would say, and, uh, and we're doing good also with uh, our investors, the people that are building that passive income portfolio, right. so i love that well excellent well adapia i think we uh we're kind of uh at, are at the end here uh yeah. anything you want to add before uh before we wrap this up and uh, maybe where they can reach you sure yeah um well first of all thank you so much for having me i've really enjoyed the the conversation and it's always great to meet other investors that clearly do right by their investors and, and like you're one of the good ones. Um, so it's great and always really appreciate that. And I think if people want to find me, LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to, to find me. We have a website, but um, I really just encourage people to, to um, find me on LinkedIn and the DMs and, you know, tell me, you know, where you heard me or found me or saw me. And, you know, if I can be helpful on anyone's journey, I'm more than happy to, to, to do so. Oh, very good. Well, thank you, Adapia. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thanks, Eric. Take care.
Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.